Hi, I'm Carla Marie Sweet, and you are listening to the Playmakers Podcast, a new podcast by Box of Tricks Theatre Company that is all about platforming creative conversations with theatre makers from all parts of the industry. This week's guest is Cash Arshad. Cash is a freelance theatre director based in Halifax, West Yorkshire. He is currently Associate Director at the Stephen Joseph Theatre in Scarborough. His recent directing credits include An Adventure at Bolton Octagon, Oliver Twist at Chester Story House, Guards at the Targe at Theatre by the Lake, Air Plays at Leeds Playhouse, and Memories of Partition at Manchester Royal Exchange, to name a few. He is also an Associate Artist for National Youth Theatre, Mentor Director for National Theatre Connections, and director for New Earth Theatre's Northwest Acting Academy. As with all episodes of the Playmakers podcast, this conversation is pretty raw, uncut and unfiltered, so you may hear the odd swear word that hasn't been beeped and some discussions around sensitive topics. All right, here's me talking to Cash. I used to be an actor. Um, I was an actor for a really long time. And, uh, and since I've come to the other side... I don't, I don't act anymore, but what mm. I've realised is that actually I don't have any discernible skills as a director. Wow. It's slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I think, yeah, I think you know, the director's job is to surround yourself with people who are really good at what they do. Mm. Uh, and your job is kind of people management, I suppose, and and, and communication, really, yeah. to help, being able to communicate your <laughs> vision to a load of people who don't who aren't in your head. Yeah. And that's I think the hardest the hardest thing, I think. Why theatre? I was thinking about this on the way over. Because you could have directed anything. You could have directed stuff for screen. Yeah. And then that's not to say I won't. Mm. Um I think just access, I suppose, access to uh, being able to make theatre mm. is easier than being able to make uh, to make a film or to make television as uh, when you're new. Okay. So you can just get a group of mates together and put play on in a above a pub. Yes. And that's you know that's 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 quite an easy way to cut your teeth and to to learn. Mm. And that's essentially what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so you started as an actor. Yeah. What was the first thing that kind of got you into acting and why did you decide to move beyond acting or um, away from it? The f- what got me into it in the first place is at school, it was the, it was actually the only thing I was any good at. Wow. Um, from a, from a, I guess from a, a grades and feedback perspective. And were grades and feedback important to you? No, okay. no, no, not, not at all. So what were you like at school? Straight down the line, average. Okay. Um, I had designs when I was younger that I wanted to be a computer programmer. Wow. Um, Well, this is a departure, then, isn't it? (laughs) So I kind of started to kind of start following that route. Um, uh, So I'm Scottish, and I went to school in Scotland. So we have our uh, school. uh, We don't have GCSEs, and we don't have A levels. We've got uh, standard grades and higher's. Okay. Um, and so my I started to go down the computer programming route when I chose my standard grades. Um, and then <laughs> in my first computing class, we were doing something to do with programming. 
And I ju- my brain just did not get it. Uh, it, ju- it just didn't, it just ne- enough, it didn't filter in properly and it didn't make any sense to me. Are you the sort of person that needs to understand why something works the way it does rather than... I don't think so, because I think if I, if I was, then I'd probably be still doing right. computing or, you know, something along, in something in IT. Right. Um, because, I mean, I, I do like to problem solve, but not... Not with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more like, I know that this computer works. I don't need to understand how or why it works. I think there's a, there's a certain level that I get to with, with it about how things work. Mm. And I go, I don't need to know the rest. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a bit like like that. There's a real, but there's a, like, like with a car. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of, I kind of understand how it works, but I don't know how to fix it. Mm. Like if I hear a noise, I go, oh, I think that might be the thing. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. No, 100%. But then I'll take it to the garage and they will, they will, they will delve. Know. And I'm not that my, my partner, I always say, he has a very mechanical mind mm. because he, you can put anything in front of him and he will figure out how to fix it. Right. And he will relish figuring out how to yes. fix it. Whereas I'm like, no, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are people in the world who are really good at that. So I'm yeah. going to let them do that. Yes. I'd yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, yeah, I did, I did computing for a bit. Mm. And then as I realised in that kind of first couple of lessons, I just wasn't getting it. Yeah. Um, I think, I can't remember if I've made this up, just to be dramatic, but I remember, I have a, I have a, a memory of crying about it when I was like 15, 14, 15, going... Can't do this in uh, class or um, I, in in my head it was in class, but right. I don't actually think it was because <laughs> that does sound quite dramatic. <laughs> um, and and so I left. I stopped that. And wow. and the other options at that time were PE, music, or drama. Mm. And I went into music first oh. because my mate was doing music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again. I was rubbish at it. Like, I remember, I remember again picking up the guitar. That was my choice. You had to choose two instruments. I chose guitar oh. and keyboard. I think two chord instruments. Yeah, cool. and I, just, I don't know what that <laughs> like, means. I still uh, don't know anything about music? Cool. I'm like that's a, that's a real challenge for like you know. <laughs> so but I picked it up and uh, and I couldn't. I I was trying to. I was doing what they were, what I was told but I couldn't get the right sound out of it. Mm. I realise, I think now, that I was pressing too hard down on the fret. Wow. So when I was strumming, nothing was coming out, but it was like, ah, fuck this. Never mind. Never mind. Do you think this um, pressing too hard thing, (laughs) do you think it says anything about what your personality is or was at that point in time? Quite possibly. (laughs) I think is probably just going... Oh, I can't. I, I think it's a big part of my personality is if I can't do it. Yes. I'm like, if I can't do it straight away. Yeah. I get, I get annoyed. Yeah. Uh, well, screw this. Never mind. Wow. Um, and where does that come from? Do you think is it is it a desire for absolute perfection or is it a fear of looking daft or where? Yeah. Where does that come from? Do you think? That's a really good question. I don't know. I think. I don't think it's as anything as deep as either of those mm-hmm. things. I think it's just I'm just just a bit impatient person. <laughs> impatient, yeah. I'm, I yeah. am probably just quite impatient. Yeah. I wish I wasn't. Yeah. Like I don't. <laughs> I was talking about this the other day. I, I I don't have any hobbies. 
I want oh. hobbies. I want to, I want. So this is why, this is why you don't you have any hobbies. You don't 100%. Because the 100%. thing about hobbies that is a really difficult thing to actually like realise, mm. particularly as you get older, is that you actually don't have to be good at them. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually better uh. if you're not good at them yeah. because particularly if you're creative, like mm. you and I, if you are good at them, then you will want to monetize them. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then it's not a hobby anymore. Exactly. So it's really hard to like, you know, I, I look at my hobbies and I'm like, how do I detangle them from mm. like, are they true hobbies or yeah. are they actually, you know, because when you're an actor and a writer and a director, it's like, well, all of these things could be useful to my career. Mm. So how do I find hobbies that yeah. will have no use to my career exactly. ever. Exactly, know? yeah. And it was, that's why I didn't, I don't think I ever properly, I ever learned an instrument mm. because I wasn't good at it straight away. And as an actor, I wanted to be good at it straight away mm -hmm. so that I could then call myself an actor musician. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's going to take me 10 years to get to call myself. Well, I might as well just not bother and just <laughs> be an actor. And nice. I just yeah, really struggle. I want hobbies. I want to be able to just do something just for the sake of doing it. Maybe it's not too late. No, I don't think it is. So my wife and I signed up for a uh, a pottery class. Oh, um, I love that. Ne not next week, the week after. See, that's good. That's really good. Just give it a go. Because pottery, I mean, even as an actor, unless I end up playing like a potter. <laughs> they remake ghosts. Yeah. You end up a ghost. Well, they have, they have just done a film about Clarice Cliff, haven't they? Oh, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Phoebe Dinova pipped me to the post. You were so close. <laughs> so close. So close. <laughs> but they've got that pottery experience. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um. So... You were an actor, not an actor musician. No, definitely not. And you decided to move away from acting mm. and into directing. How did that happen? So I was an actor for about 15 years. Um, yeah, I was an actor for about 15 years. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I was making a, a living out of it. Uh, I always had other jobs and... What kind I, of other jobs did you have? Like sorry. day jobs? Yeah, I used to, I mean, the majority of them were in theatres. So mm. I used to work front of house at, uh, at the King's Theatre in Glasgow. Worked there for about eight years. Wow. Uh, worked at the box office at the Lowry for a long time. But in between that, I, I was a postman. I delivered sofas. I delivered phone books. You, you delivered anything, anything that wanted delivery. Absolutely. You were the guy. Wow. I was a delivery guy for a, bar, for a bit, which was brilliant. <laughs> I did put on a huge amount of weight because they gave me free pizza. Oh gosh. Yeah. And you just sat in a car all day. Yeah. That's it. Um, does it, does it now feel weird if you show up at someone's house without a pizza yeah. or a letter <laughs> or a phone book in your hand? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Um, I did enjoy those jobs too. Not all of them, but mm. I, being, I really liked being post. Yeah. I really, uh, it, was a, it was, I mean, other than being in the, being in the office. So you, you, before you're, before you go out, you go in to the sorting office and you yeah. kind of pack your bag with all of your, wherever you're delivering to. Mm. I was part-time. So I did, I didn't have a regular route. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing all kinds, but the, the office that I was in, was I would say at least ninety five percent male. Oh wow! And ninety seven percent white. Whoa! Um, That's intense. And these are these are 
these guys who have been doing this for 40, 50, 60 years. Most of them were really nice. Yeah. Then most of them were really kind, but it was just a weird, it was always just a weird vibe. Mm. So there was a, there was a, there was a postman in there who'd been a postman for about five years. Let's call him Asif. Okay. He'd been there for about five years. And Asif is not white, I'm guessing. Asif is not white. <laughs> Asif, Asif is, is part Asif, of the 3%. <laughs> he, he, is, he is South Asian, yeah. like me. Um, and when I started, people mistook me for him. And and and, and they, they started to call me his name. Even It, it was That's just really so weird. weird. It was just a really weird vibe. Oh, I don't know why I'm surprised. I've been in situations where that's happened. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really weird. But the actual job itself of going out and, like, posting letters, mm. I loved that. I yeah. really loved it, just kind of wandering around and saying hello to people and yeah. seeing dogs and getting out of the fresh air and exercise. And I imagine there is something quite satisfying about watching your little pile go down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and getting quicker at it. Yeah. As well, it was, yeah, I, I, I really did enjoy it. I feel like one day you need to write something about being, yeah, yeah. being a postman. <laughs> yeah, and get somebody to write a play about, about being a postman. Yeah. It would need to be promenade. It okay. It would need to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the audience the, following the, the only way. around. Yeah, it would have to be like a site-specific yeah. promenade piece of theatre about a postman. Yeah. And yeah, in a in a precarious situation, like I don't know, somebody's made a drug mule out of him or something like that. Mm, or it's yeah. like a post-apocalyptic. Oh, a post-apocalyptic postman. Uh, that can't be the last postman because that's a film ah. with Kevin Costner. And is that Harry actually Wilson. about a postman? I think it is. He oh, is okay. like the last postman on earth. Oh wow! So it's already been done. I think so. Yeah. Let's send him to space. It's the answer to everything. I want this one to do a space play? <laughs> yes. I saw um, Vinay Patel's version oh, yes. of Cherry Orchard. Yeah. It's really cool. Bloody space on stage. That's amazing. It's so is that, is that the next kind of um, frontier? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> theme, maybe. Like... There's not a lot. People tend not to do sci-fi on stage. Yeah, which is a shame. A trick. I, I agree. A trick. The first, it's expensive. first play I ever wrote that got staged was sci-fi. Oh, really? Yeah. And the challenge with it was that it was a... Um, I guess cli-fi, they would call it these days, climate change science fiction. Uh, okay. Slightly before it was cool for everyone to be talking about climate change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took it to Edinburgh Fringe and I had no money whatsoever. Whatsoever. Um, and sofa surfed for seven months in order to pay everybody and cover just the costs of like being in oh, Underbelly was... in 2017. Um, it was it, it was, was still expensive. Oh, so expensive. Yeah, so expensive. Yeah. It was a 15 grand play that I made for about nine. And the only reason why I could sort of cut costs was because the entire set was just two white swivel office chairs. Mm. And then everything else was virtual reality. So oh, there was a lot of movement. Very good. Um, very clever. Yeah. But we couldn't see, the audience couldn't see what the characters could see. Got you. So, yeah. So that kind of, I think a lot of people fear putting sci-fi on stage because the budget, yeah. and if you don't spend a lot, it could look terrible. And, um, and audiences are used to, like, sci-fi looking really cool. Really slick, because yeah. Because of 
the advances, I guess, in CGI and all that kind of stuff. But also part of the conceit of this play was that it was set um, at a time when this big sort of rupture had happened mm. um, that was like the the effects of terrible political decisions and terrible kind of environmental decisions. And so the idea was that everything was a bit shit anyway. Mm. So like we had like these bits of technology, but then everything was kind of falling apart and oh, no one had any yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, which, which definitely yeah. helps. This is a situation <laughs> we found ourselves in. Oh yeah. <laughs> big time, big time. The only place where it really went wrong was it was all supposed to be set in a hermetically sealed environment because mm-hmm. we'd like destroyed the environment yeah. outside. And there was a hole in the roof of Big Belly and a pigeon flew in at one point while we were on stage and we sort of had to, yeah, ad-lib our way through that. (laughs) Yeah, that's really annoying. Yeah. Were you in it as well? I was in it. Wow, I was in it, yeah. So it was... Immersive theatre. Indeed. (laughs) So... um, so you started to kind of move away from acting. Yes. And so it's directing. Kind of a, a culmination of things, really, that made me stop acting. Okay. Um, Talk me through the, I, the things. Well, I've been doing it for a long time, and I was getting... It's just getting a bit bored, I think. Of, Interesting. Yeah, of of the life of an actor, I suppose. Right. Um, I wasn't getting seen for stuff. Mm. Don't quite know why. I mean, I started off having I had a really good agent to start with. Yeah. Then did I, you did you train as an actor? Uh, kind of. Mm-hmm. I did an HND in acting and performance at Glasgow College of Nautical Studies. Nautical Studies. Studies. Wow, that's a real misnomer, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they <laughs> they, they were a big college on the banks of the Clyde. Uh, and then obviously back in the day, their main focus was around ships and shipbuilding and mm. all that kind of stuff. But, you know, as time went on, there wasn't as much call for that. So they had to kind of diversify yeah. their output. And we were the kind of the guinea pigs, I suppose, of yeah. kind of the media courses. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we did an HND. I did an HND in acting performance over three years. Um, it was great. I think, I think it got me out of my shell and yeah. way and um, probably taught you how to speak to other actors. Yeah, which yeah. is a really useful yeah. thing Absolutely. when you're a director. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't train. I did train, but not. I didn't go to drum school or conservatoire or anything like that. Um, and yeah, so I was doing it for a while and. I wasn't getting seen for stuff. I had a good agent and I didn't know why I was getting seen for stuff. And then I got annoyed. So I left that agent, went just on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't getting, I was doing a lot of, was working a lot, but in uh, like corporate work or role play and TIE mm-hmm. and kind of the sundry stuff that actors. And what kind of roles were you getting casting? I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't do a single it's not true i did one towards the end of my acting career i did one kind of proper theater job mm. but it was always i was working on long contracts yeah. doing theater education and yeah corporate stuff um i had i had two telly gigs mm-hmm. one one i didn't have a name i was known i was i had I was a younger table guy in a very short-lived sitcom called Meet the Magoons. It was on Channel 4. Wow, okay. Um, written by Sanjeev Kohli mm-hmm. um, and his brother. 
and I had four lines. None of them were in English. They were all in Punjabi, and I, my, my dad's Pakistani. Uh-huh. I don't speak Punjabi. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I had to, I had to... Does your dad speak Punjabi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I had to get my dad mm. to, I got the lines, they were in English, <laughs> and I had to get my dad to translate them into Punjabi for me, and I wrote them out phonetically. Right. So I was saying the words not fully understanding what I was saying. Oh, no. I don't think. <laughs> um, kind of there was only four lines. So it was that must have been an interesting conversation with your dad as well, being like, I know I've had zero interest in learning yeah, language yeah. now. <laughs> the night before a huge audition. Totally. Because <laughs> I have put it on my spotlight, so. Yeah, absolutely. Help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't getting I wasn't getting loads of work. I was doing, I was, I was working, but not in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a long time. And then I did a show, like a fringe show um, at the Arcola, like a little short, uh, it was a miniaturists festival at the Arcola. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was part yeah. of, I did, I did a show for uh, Joshua Val Martin, mm-hmm. um, Manchester, brilliant Manchester writer. And I remember stood backstage before we went on and had that kind of that gut churning nervous. And I was like, why am I doing this? This is, this feels horrible. This is not a nice feeling. Yeah. And then I went on stage, forgot all my lines. Saved by the other two brilliant actors on stage. Came off, apologized. But actually, deep down, looking back on it now, deep down, I didn't really, I didn't really care. Wow. I, didn't, I wasn't really bothered. So that's when you know it's done. I was like, all right, that's, that's probably it. And that was yeah. that was the last time I was I ever went on stage. Wow. Um, that God, that must have been 20, 2017, 2018, something like that. Wow. You know, so... it, was, it, was, it was before that. No, no, it was about 2017, I think. So not actually that long ago. No. Wow. No. Um, and also, like, I was, I, I, I realised, this is going to sound really silly, but I realised I wasn't actually very good. Like, no, I, I think. I was okay. I was yeah. always okay. But I didn't have the wherewithal to want to get better. Yes. And that's an important realisation. And probably a similar realisation to what you had about IT and computers yeah, and all that. Yeah, like absolutely. I don't get this. And actually I don't care enough to do the work required yeah. to figure it out. Absolutely. And my mm. wife trained uh I can't remember what year, but before we met, she went to the Arden. Mm. Um she's an actor as well. Um and she decided to retrain. Mm. Uh not retrain. She decided to top up her training with an MA, like cool. ten years after her original training. Wow. So she went to Art Set. Good for her. It's That's amazing. awesome. Absolutely amazing. But she, but when I was speaking to her about it, when she was in the training, it kind of made me go, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do what she's doing. And that's what I would need to do yeah. to be a better actor. Right. Is I think I would need to immerse myself in something like that. And I was like, I just, I don't want to do that. Oh, the training is the best part. It's the best part. Yeah. And I think, I yeah. think, Loads of people say that, and I, I'm not, I don't, 
not that I don't like to learn. Mm. <laughs> That's the weird thing to but say. But you have to learn about something that you're truly, truly invested in. Yeah, interested totally. in. Especially when you're spending 15 grand on it. Yes. You know, it is not got to be something that you're certain about. And also there's, you know, the challenge of training for people like us is that you're almost definitely going to end up in an environment where there's maybe only one other person of colour or two other people of colour if yeah. you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can be, I mean, on my course, um, there were 22 people in total and there were two South Asians and me. Mm. And that was it. I was Where's the only it? person of black heritage on my course. I went to Central right. um, and did the one-year acting course there. And if it hadn't have been for those two South Asian kids, kids, mm. Not really kids, adults. Samiti and Jude, hey, if you're listening, um, <laughs> I would have been incredibly lonely. Yeah. And and to have that loneliness alongside then not actually enjoying what you're doing, mm. I can't imagine what that must feel like. Because, yeah, you know, I was able to kind of temper the fact that there was just the three of us. And sometimes we were split up. Sometimes mm. we had classes away from each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. With the fact that I was so invested in what I was doing, and you were doing and something I loved every that you wanted, like really wanted, yeah, really that's wanted. All, yeah, that's that's half the battle, I suppose. It is, but also being away as well. Like, um, where are you, are you from, Manchester? I'm from Manchester originally, um, but uh, we moved to the states when I was twelve, right. and then um, I lived in London for a very long time because that's where I went to uni, and so that kind of was my jumping off point. And then I went and did Central. And then I moved back about four years ago, and right. it's honestly the best decision I've ever made. Very, very happy here. That's part of the. It never thing. stopped feeling like home. I don't think I could. I don't think I wanted to go back because I knew that I would have to go. I knew that I would have to go to London because mm. the options up here were really limited. Yeah, and still are. And still, one hundred percent. It's getting slightly better. I think there's a couple more options, but it was Aura. Yeah. Or nothing. Mm. Um. And I, I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to Wigan. Uh, uh, nothing wrong with Wigan, but it's because I'm, I'm not, it was far, it was quite, it was far away. Yeah. I, I, not, not, I didn't live close enough to, for it to be commutable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's all kinds of, yeah, all kinds of different. So, so you said that you grew up in Scotland originally. Mm. Um, so when did you, cause you're now in Halifax, when yeah. did you move to England? Uh, 2007. Okay. Uh, I was 20, I was 27 at the time. And was that a career move or kind was of, it? I moved because I was uh, for a job, essentially. Mm. Uh, it was with a six-month contract with a corporate acting company in Huddersfield. Uh -huh. um, and so I moved to, yeah, I moved to Huddersfield uh -huh. for six months, fully intending to go back after those six months. Then they offered me another six months. Mm. And so I was like, all right, okay, fine. Uh, and so I did that. And then they offered me more. And they kept offering me more and more work. And it's hard to say no. It's hard to say no. And then I moved to Leeds with a good friend of mine. Um, we were both working for the same company at the time. And uh, and I think it was part during that year that I realized that i probably was going to be in england for quite some time mm. uh, and, and and i haven't moved back since yeah still i haven't moved so you're already in england when you realized that you wanted to be a director 100 percent. and how did that 
Take me back to like the moment, the day when you realised, okay, acting's behind me. It's directing that I want to do. Um, it was, it wasn't a day exactly, but it was, it was quite a fairly short amount of time actually. I was, I was working as an actor for Freedom Studios in Bradford, mm-hmm. and they were in, about to change their artistic leadership. Uh-huh. Um, and so we doing, I was doing the show. Uh, in it was a site specific thing in Bradford, didn't it change? So confident. As an actor. As an actor. So you're working as an actor still, and this was after the whole thing with the miniaturists. No, this was before. This was this before. Was before. Okay. Um, and I was, and I spoke, and the the new artistic leadership team, Alex and Aisha, came in to watch the show, and I caught them afterwards. And I'd I'd always kind of done little bits of directing throughout my acting career, mm-hmm. kind of you know come out of college and start your own theatre company, all that yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, exactly um, what we did. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. And I think it's great. I think you should. You yeah. absolutely should. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I did I did bits and pieces. And I was like, I wonder if that's something I might be interested in. And a friend of mine had done some training with RTYDS. Mm. And uh, I'd noticed on the Freedom Studios website that they had previously had an RTYDS placement, mm-hmm. a three-month placement. And I said to Alex and Aisha, would you be willing to kind of put me forward to do a three-month placement working with you guys here? And they went, yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. And they did, Aisha, bless her. I have so much to thank Aisha Khan and Alex Chen for. Aisha did the entire application for me. Wow. Uh, or I, 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 had to, I had to put, I had to do like a statement of some kind from like, from me. And we got it. We got the money from RTYDS. And so I spent three months, three months working for Freedom Studios, but I was assisting on a show at Bolton Octagon. So they were mm-hmm. co-producing a show. At so Bolton what was Octagon. that show? It was called Chip Shop the Musical. Ah. Weirdly, it was on at the same time as Chip Shop Chips. That is very confusing. And so everybody thought that I was working on Chip Shop Chips. Ah. <laughs> Uh, oh, you're working with Box of Tricks? Yeah. No, 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 no. The, the other one that's set <laughs> chips up. We just really like chips up now, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I assisted uh, Ben Ockpinty on that, um, and that was a show, a two-hander musical mm-hmm. set, in chip, set in a chip shop, so we toured actual chip shops. Amazing. Um, and it was a, a musical that fused uh, brass band music and grime. Wow. It was insane. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, And randomly, another kind of box of tricks connection is that in that show is Remy Milner. Oh, lovely Remy. Yes. Uh, And yes, so, and that was my first kind of taste of like a proper rehearsal room. Gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And that was, I kind of went, yeah, I think think this is is (laughs) what I want to do. Yeah. And so it was it was it was Chip Shop the musical. Chip was... Shop the musical was the was the kind of the catalyst. Wow. And then after I finished the finished that, then I, I kind of was doing bits and pieces of like corporate stuff in between. Mm-hmm. Then I did this uh miniaturist festival as a favour. Um, as an actor. As an actor. So that was almost kind of like a bit of a weird step back in that direction that just yeah, reaffirmed absolutely. I think at the time it didn't feel like it because I was doing both. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think I'm not a I'm not a multi-hyphenate. I don't think I can be. I don't think I have the I don't think I have the concentration to be a, 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 I can't I can't do both things. 
That's interesting because I, <laughs> I literally have been diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, and a lot of the time, I think the reason why I'm a multi-hyphenate is because I don't have the concentration to just do one thing forever. Okay. Um, and I like having, yeah, just fingers in lots of I think different great. pies. I'm in awe. Again, I'm in such awe of people who do, who are multi-hyphenates. My but, brain just doesn't. I think, I think, I think they're both like, Act, the two things that I was doing, acting and directing, are both really, really fucking hard. They're really hard. They and I don't know if I had the energy to do both. Mm. So maybe that's part of the reason yeah. why I'm not you do, you, It requires a huge amount of energy and crazy hours and yeah. just your head having to be in lots of different places at once, which can work really well if your head is already in lots of different yes, places absolutely. at once as a neurodiverse person. Yeah. But it's also... Yeah, I think my theory behind it is if if you have enough irons in the fire or if, mm. you, if you bake enough pies, yeah, I'm yeah, massively yeah. mixing my metaphors yeah, here, yeah, I mean. then some of them will hopefully come out okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's, I think, and I think especially nowadays, it's harder. It's harder for people coming out of drama school or any kind of training in this industry to to focus solely on mm. one thing. Mm. I just think it's it's too difficult. It is. You have to be able to do lots of different things. But having said that, I have seen a lot of people who have just focused on one thing really excel mm. at that one thing and, you know, quite quickly progress in that one thing because they are so focused on on, yeah. on that one thing. Yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. that's what ha what's happened with you because it does seem like you've come an incredibly long way very quickly since 2017 when yeah. you were still, you know, acting. Think, yeah, totally. And I think that's partly, again, it's all retrospective, mm. uh, the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I care about this more. Mm. Um, I think I'm better at it than I ever was as an actor. And do you feel like you get everything you could possibly want out of directing? Absolutely. Absolutely, I have That's really absolutely beautiful. no. The first ever, the first time I directed after acting, mm. I had no jealousy of the actors. Wow! I had no desire to be on stage, and that still holds today. Like, yeah, it's amazing. There's nothing. There's very little that would get me on the stage now. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't miss it in the slightest. And do I'm, you think I'm, there is something about? I think it's it's an interesting thing because obviously I've just kind of done my little first foray into mm. directing um, with Box of Tricks, yeah. Box Fresh. And yes. what was interesting about that is that it was so well cast mm -hmm. that I wasn't able to look at those actors and think, well, it should be me. Or sure. do you know what I mean? Like, sure, 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 sure. And I think if something is really beautifully yeah. cast, then it feels like everyone does have their role that feels mm. appropriate to them, including you in your role as the director. Definitely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of comes back to what I was saying before about surrounding yourself with the right people and yes. the people. Yeah. Because that makes your job easier. Yeah. As you go. And, and also takes away that potential of mm. of 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 thinking I could do that better. Yeah. Because ultimately it's a, it's a team effort and yeah. everyone is playing their position. And it's like, okay, maybe you've played striker before, mm. but actually playing against this particular team, you're better in defence. Yeah. yeah, that's a really lovely metaphor, actually. Yeah. Metaphor, yeah, metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it is.
So um, you did Chip Shop Musical. Yes. And it's really challenging to 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 say that I because I keep yeah. in my peripheral <laughs> vision your is a poster for Chip Shop Chip, yeah. chip Shop Chips, which yes. is very hard to say very quickly. Um, but Chip Shop the Musical came about, made you realise that this was the thing that you wanted to do in terms of directing. Mm. And then what was your next show after that? What was that? How did the journey proceed after mm. that? Let me have a think. So, yes, my next... So I assisted for a bit. Um, I realised that I needed to learn loads. Uh, and that's the thing I learned working with Ben mm. was... Like so much that I still don't know about how like you can kind of make it up. Yeah, you kind of do when you're directing your first kind of fringe. You're learning on the job, aren't you? It's yeah. kind. Of, it's almost the only way, real way you can learn with directing is learning on the job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they don't have like you know directing schools that you can go to quite in the same way as they have like acting schools where like you know you're all just thrown together and. I think there's a couple. There's a couple of like really good courses. Okay. Um, that are out there mm. that are run by really good people and produce really good directors. Mm. But I think you have to you have to know that's what you want to do. Yeah, to spend that much money and mm. that much time focused on that solely. Yeah, and the interesting thing about I guess that as well is that unlike if you went to drama school and did like a, an acting course. There's so much that can kind of come from having done an acting course. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you could end up going into directing or you could become a writer yeah, or a producer yeah, yeah, yeah. or even just like somebody who doesn't work in the arts at all, but is just an excellent public speaker. Yeah. Whereas like with directing, it's quite it's yeah. quite a lot more specific, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Think, and so I'm sure there are yeah. some transferable skills that you've learned, <laughs> but I, 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 so. I can't think what they are. But um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's more difficult to transfer those skills if you're if you if you're training as a director yeah you, if you're training as an, as an actor exactly maybe the ultimate transferable skill is man management yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and i don't i mean i didn't i didn't say i didn't go to to, to drum school or uni to do directing so i don't know how you teach that mm. other than just doing it yeah so yeah i learned that i learned all that from ben uh to go, okay, there's loads I still need to learn. And then I, and then I, then Matthew Zia, in fact, um, put me forward mm -hmm. for an assistant director's job um, at Fit by the Lake oh. with Liz Stevenson. Okay. Uh, she now runs Data by the Lake. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, she didn't. She was just making, yeah, yeah. She was associate director there, I think, at the time. And she was making uh, Handbagged, the Moira Buffini play. I thought you were just going to stop at Handbags. Yeah. She's making Handbags. She's making handbags. <laughs> um, and, yeah I, yeah, I interviewed for that and was really fortunate that we got on really well. Yeah. And we so I ended up working up there. Uh, with Liz, assisting Liz on, on that show. Then there was a job advertised uh, back at Freedom Studios. Mm -hmm. It was a training artistic director uh, job. There was a two-year placement. Mm -hmm. um, part of that was, a big part of that was assisting on their shows, assisting and associate directing on their shows. 
Um, I mean, that's amazing in itself that there was this sort of opportunity that really was about kind of training you up to be. And I don't know how many of those they have these days. No, I think especially with RTYDS kind of losing their MPO oh, status. Yeah. Not, you know, just not being part yeah. of the portfolio anymore. I think yeah. it's a real, a real kick yeah. for, for people coming through because they were instrumental in mm. like, making me bringing me to where I am now. Wow. Um, and what was this traineeship like? Was it like full-time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whatever, it was It was full-time. Full-time salaried for two years mm-hmm. uh, in Bradford. Yeah. Um, so I moved from Salford to Bradford. And that's a good length of time really, isn't it, as well? Because, you know, if it's something that's maybe like two or three months or, you know, four months, mm. then it's like, okay, well, I would then have to quit my current job mm. maybe move somewhere but definitely quit my current job because this is full time and yeah, they only yeah. give me three months off and do this and then it may lead to nothing yeah. whereas if it's two years it's like okay well I know I can predict for the next two years it's worth me moving Absolutely. somewhere this is like a solid opportunity Absolutely. that is almost definitely going to have a future because it's two years experience on the job that I'll have yeah yeah and it was a it was it was a kind of good time, and um, I I forgot what I was going to say. Then. <laughs> um, yes, it was it was over two years, and I was a so I got to assist on two of their shows. Um, North what Country, North, North Country by Tijin Singh Haye, uh-huh. um, which was it's absolutely brilliant play. Uh, this was. 2017 so way before covid but it was a play about essentially a play about a pandemic wow that uh it was set in bradford yeah and kind of wiped out lots of people yeah um and lots of older people so mm-hmm. there's kind of lots of young people that were left to run stuff wow and so the play focused on these three very disparate characters who became kind of the leaders of their community mm-hmm. within Bradford and how they had to, historically they didn't get on. So one was uh, white British, one was Muslim, one was Hindu, oh. I think. So historically those communities clash um, and just how they needed to kind of work together. Yeah. Uh, and we did that. So Freedom Studios, oh, they do all their work um in non-theatre spaces uh-huh. for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, and so we did this in a disused M&S in the centre of Bradford. Wow. It was amazing. It was absolutely That sounds insane. Yeah. I'm going to have to try and find some pictures of that because that just sounds... See if I can find some. I've got, got to play as well. You should read the play. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Tajin did a great job on it. Mm. Um, and then I assisted on uh, a play called When We Were Brothers. Uh-huh. Um by uh, by Bentego, um, who's a brilliant writer um, that was directed by Aisha Khan. And that was about kind of um, mental health and toxic masculinity and um, how these two friends from the same place through choices, they kind of went in very different directions and mm. then they came back together and kind of a real focus on male friendship, like mm. proper real male friendship. And it was beautiful. It's 
beautiful. Sounds amazing. It was. It was really great. So as you're doing this and you're learning more about kind of theatre making mm. and directing and how to work with actors <laughs> and how to, you know, work with writers as well, what, what were your sort of... Um, priorities what did your priorities kind of become while you were working on these things was it about uh helping these writers and their new pieces of writing get onto the stage and their visions be realized or was it about kind of just being in the room with actors and helping kind of maybe actors that hadn't broken through yet what yeah what was kind of running through your head in terms of like a long-term vision of the role that you would play in the industry it's a good question don't know if I, I don't know if I did. I don't know if I had that thought. I think I was focused on, <laughs> I was focused on me <laughs> and my learning and what I, what I'm missing. I uh -huh. suppose. So uh, it's about tooling my, up. I think, I think so. Mm. I think because I, I, as everybody does have imposter syndrome and I've had imposter syndrome for, for years because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to drama school and as a as a director you're kind of surrounded by people who did yeah not necessarily go to train to be a director but lots did but yeah in, you know studied english mm. linguist literature at university so i have this yeah. this huge back catalogue of knowledge about mm. and connections and, and you know. yeah and 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 just knowledge about like work like mm. plays yeah classic texts all yeah. of that stuff that i don't know anything about yeah um yeah. I know the phrase I am like pentameter, but I can't tell you what it means. Yeah. Um, well, the the ironic thing about my time at university is that I did media and sociology at Goldsmiths. Mm -hmm. And in the final year, there was actually a script writing module and I didn't take it. A friend of mine, uh, Grace, she took it. And I was like, fucking hell, Grace, that sounds like a good look. But I just didn't even cross my mind okay. to take it. And now I'm a professional script writer. Yeah mental so bizarre, isn't it? but I think a lot of that came from and I don't know whether this is an experience that you identify with just thinking that people like me didn't get to do things like that as I was growing up so it never even crossed my mind that I would be able to become a professional writer one day it just didn't cross my mind no and I, I mean I don't know if that I don't know thinking back I don't know if it was a conscious thing mm. but Certainly, there is no one in my family or in my immediate kind of circle of people growing up that yeah. were in this industry, whether it's theatre or television. Yeah, for them, for me to go, oh, they've done it, so I oh, can do it. Interesting. So I can maybe do it. I think I was just <laughs> it goes in really stubborn because I when I when I went to Glasgow College of Nautical Studies, mm. you had to audition to get in. Mm. I didn't apply anywhere else. Yeah, I did. I did. After my no, I didn't. That's that's not true. I applied to two drama schools. Um, hated being at both of them, so I shan't name them. But I hated <laughs> I hated being even in, just the audition, just in the audition, yeah. and just in the building. I just mm -hmm. remember, like again, coming from uh, coming from the family that I came from, just walking around the the kind of campus and seeing all these kind of people. Just look what what I realise now are just like semi-professional yeah really good and really like yeah really good at what they do and really focused mm. but looking at them going what's your wankers i don't want i don't want to be part of this no but now i am <laughs> now you are and now i am one of those yeah wankers. in an even more Here like, I am intrinsic way talking about it <laughs> the, the, the wankiest thing you can do 
<laughs> and I can't remember what. Wanky but self-aware about it. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that is the difference. I'm fine that with is, it. And it's such a crucial, crucial dis- difference. It is. I'm absolutely fine with it. As well. <laughs> um, I think I'm answering your question about what my kind of focus was during that time of mm-hmm. being at Freedom Studios and figuring out my own process and mm. ways of working. What Freedom Studios did for me was make me understand and not understand fully, but have an understanding of playwriting and new writing mm. and playwrights and how how people work with them. Because mm. so Freedom Studios at the time was run by two people, so Alex Chisholm and uh, Aisha Khan, and their way of working with writers was completely different. And I think it was really it was really lovely for me to kind of go, oh, so there's not one way of working with writers and getting the best out of mm. them for the for the show that you're trying to make. And um that was a real kind of a real learning curve, I think, for mm. me. In that it's specific to the individual. Absolutely. Mm. And then you kind of find like there are there is rules and there's books you can read and stuff, but there is ultimately it's a relationship thing yeah yeah between you and the writer yeah and it can change and it will change depending on the writer and yeah. depending on the piece i think it's the same with actors to some degree but not mm. to the same extent i don't think as no, it is with writers. it's a very different it's a very different relationship i think with yeah. actors you still have to have that kind of open mind of everybody works differently yeah but it's very rare that you'll you'll find you'll come across actors who are incredibly precious about the script itself mm. and you know the journey that their character goes on throughout that script. Yeah. Whereas you will meet some writers who of are course. like, I don't want to change anything. I want this play to be put on exactly how I visualized Absolutely. it. And then you sort of have to figure out what your role is as the director I if they are prescriptive totally. about the script itself. And I think that is absolutely their prerogative Mm. you know it's their work Mm. and it's sort of figuring out isn't it like where's the line because you know you'll meet a lot of writers as well like me who are like you do what kind of do what you want you know (laughs) like i want to see what vision you're going to bring to this but there is a line and i nobody's crossed that well actually somebody has crossed that line (laughs) once somebody has definitely crossed that line once when you start um writing and changing words in my play without telling me uh-huh. that's yeah. a bit of a line. Um, but it's, it is about kind of, I guess, figuring out where that line is for each and every writer and everyone's going to have a different line, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So let's look back on your last, I guess, it's five, it's five, six nearly years now of directing. Mm-hmm. What would you say has been your career highlight? Ooh. It's a really good question. Different different things for different reasons. I know that's a really crappy answer. <laughs> um, Is there any one play that's been like, oh, this feels like a real kind of career? Pinnacle is a, is a bit of a tricky word because it implies that it's all downhill from there. Yeah, but yeah, this yeah, feels yeah. like this a, why a big moment in my career. Yeah. Yeah, I think for a kind of big scale moment, I think was when I did Oliver Twist at Storyhouse. Yeah. Um, it was biggest cast I've ever worked with, biggest venue that I've ever mm. kind of made a show in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was insane actually. We had uh, so there was eight actor musos, mm-hmm. one actor, and a young company of ten. Mm. But because we were in just kind of on the the kind of the edge of COVID and lockdowns mm. and stuff, they were being super cautious. So we had four teams of ten. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Essentially 40, 39 kids in the end. That's insane. It is insane. But luckily, like Story House is brilliant. And mm. uh Rianne Stubbs, my uh movement director on that show, had worked for Storyhouse for a long time in mm-hmm. their kind of their uh, outreach department. Yeah. Creating I don't know what they call it actually. With the young people, with the young company. Mm. And so they knew her really well and she did an absolutely incredible job of getting them because we had to rehearse separately as well. Yeah, yeah. So we rehearsed the the adult actors Mm -hmm. with the thought of the young company being there. Mm. And so me and Rianne spent quite a lot of time just kind of running around Mm. being the kids. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but then also we have to do the same with the kids. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we have to put them together and then obviously there was that kind of thing that went on there as well. Um, I mean, it sounds like chaos, it but was, I'm but sure it was a very slickly run. Because it everybody, had to be. everybody was brilliant and everybody yeah. was on board and everybody got what we were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And it was a real team, real team effort. And it... And every every single person that was on that show was so nice. Mm. Like honestly, one of the the, the most positive theatrical mm. experiences. There was tensions sometimes, and there was issues, but on the whole, it was it was an absolute joy, and it's kind of what I aim for now. Yeah. That that same feeling of I'm really looking forward to going into this rehearsal. There's nothing quite like it. So all that. these people are brilliant. Yeah. And they bring in, they're bringing so much love and care mm. to this Christmas show. Yeah. Um, and it was a joy. It was an absolute joy. And then the pandemic hit. Uh, no, this was post. Oh, this was post-pandemic? Post, yeah. Oh. This was only not last Christmas, Christmas before. So what a great thing to kind of come out of that pandemic period and get to do, especially with so many bodies in the room and obviously having to kind of manage it for that, you know, just after the pandemic environment, but still getting to work with more people than we ever got to during the pandemic. Absolutely, absolutely. Still trying to be careful and, you know, we were in, we tried to be as socially distanced as we could. Mm. Um, and And it was great. It was such a great show. I still love it. What would you say is kind of the ingredient that you look for when you're reading either new plays or maybe plays that are kind of like part of the canon that you're thinking of kind of taking on? Mm-hmm. What What would you say is the the thing that you look for that makes a Cash Arshang play a Cash Arshang Ooh. play? Um, that's, that's a nice question. <laughs> don't know if I have the answer. Um, yet maybe maybe it's maybe I'm still trying to figure it out I think there always has to be 
I guess there always has to be some element of of joy, of hope, mm. something like that. Whatever, whatever the play is, I need to be able to feel that there is an element of hope and 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 joy. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want my audiences to leave crying necessarily, unless. Yeah. That's kind of the point, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless it's tears of joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Um, and that won't always be the case, I don't think. But I think I always try and find that because I'm. I guess I'm quite. Um, I'm quite an optimistic person. Mm. Um, and there are, you know, there are people out there who do tragedy incredibly. Yeah. And I'm not one of them. Right? <laughs> so I leave that to those people. But oh, I yeah. suppose it comes back to what we were saying earlier about playing your position, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> absolutely. Knowing knowing where where yeah, why 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 me? Yeah. Knowing why me. Yeah. That's probably it. Like I don't I don't think I could ever I mean, never say never, but you know. Um Blasted, Sarah Kane's blasted. Mm. I think I think I would really struggle to do <laughs> something as quite as quite as intense as that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if there's somebody out there who wants to give me a job directing Blasted, please do. <laughs> but, you know. but you'll definitely put a joyful spin on it I'm somehow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that. I don't know how I do that. I'd figure out a way. There's bound to be a way. There's bound to be a way. But I think that I think that's it. But I'm still trying to figure it out. Aren't we all? Mm. So your current role mm-hmm. and your the work that you're doing now, the work that you're doing with SJT, SJT. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. Um, so I'm the associate, Khan associate director at the Stephen Joseph Theatre in Scarborough. Um, again, that's under um, placement. I'm there for eighteen months, um, and a big part of that is. From again, it's a personal thing. It's me un- trying to understand what it means to run a building and whether or not that's something that I can do, that I want to do, mm-hmm. um, and kind of trying to get an insight into the other side of it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fascinating, you know, getting to sit in on the privilege of being able to get paid to be there and, you know, sit in on board meetings on finance meetings and you know the being part of programming team and mm-hmm. you know getting to read plays that get sent in and putting on play readings and uh meet expanding local act networks and all those cool cool things that as a freelancer you don't have the you just can't do that like you yeah. want to you want to be able to go who are all the local actors in Manchester that you can kind of let's do this, but it doesn't have the yeah. same resonance. Make yourselves sure. known. <laughs> it, it, it resonates more if you're part if you're in a building, if yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you are visible and you know people know you exist. Mm. You know, and know that SAT as an example is a it's a, it's a known entity. People know the Stephen Joseph Theatre and yeah. what they're about and want to want to work with them. Mm. Um and so if I can help to make those introductions, yeah. you know, because um, I think 
it's hard. I think it's hard running a building. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I think it is. I guess as an artistic director or as a, a chief exec or any kind of part of a senior management team in a build, like there's only so many hours in the day mm. and you want to meet all the writers, all the actors, all the directors, all the creative people that you possibly can. Um, which is why my role is really nice mm. because I get to do that on yeah. behalf of. So I just, I spend quite a lot of my time having, co having coffee <laughs> with actors and, uh, writers and uh, just chatting about their work and about them and and making them part, trying to make them feel like part of the theatre. Yeah, as much as as much as possible. So, what would be then your biggest bit of advice for actors, writers, directors, anyone who is creative, you know, and trying to kind of move through the theatre world or move into the theatre world? It's a really tough question. I guess it's not everyone's an asshole. <laughs> and don't be a dick. Yes. I think I think it gets you it gets you really far if you are if you're if you're cool, if you're a yeah. nice person, you know? Um people are more likely to want to have a chat and want to sit with you um and and try and help you. Mm. Um I think the industry it's an, it's interesting because there are lots of assholes mm. in in this business and not everyone is yeah and i suppose you <coughs> when you deal with quite a few disappointments and you meet quite a few assholes it can kind of harden you to the point where you start becoming one totally. and it's a really it's a really tricky balance to strike as well especially as you know a, a creative person mm. where you're required to be sensitive in order to be good at your job. Mm -hmm. But then in order to deal with the level of rejection and disappointment, you also have to be quite thick-skinned. And so treading the balance between the, those two things, it's it's not easy. No. And part of me understands why people become quite sort of hard-faced in the face of, of, of that. But yeah, I think the knowledge that not everyone's a dickhead and hopefully, you know, one of the things that this podcast is going to continue to do is platform people who um, are experienced in the world of theatre mm. and who aren't arseholes. Absolutely. And hopefully that will that yeah. will make our listeners realise that there are still some good ones out there. And I think don't be afraid to write to people. Mm. Like as an actor, it feels weird sometimes to to write to someone when they are casting for something but just do it anyway like it's fine they might not get back to you that's like literally the worst thing that will happen mm. is that they won't get back to you and that won't be because that won't, it's the thing i used to think as an actor it's like i don't, I don't, I don't want to email i don't want people to think i'm a dick nobody ever is going to see your email and go i'm not going to reply to them because they sound like an absolute prick. <laughs> no, no, it's it's probably just because it's got lost in their emails or they've not got time or they've, you know, there's, there's yeah. a multitude of reasons why they won't have replied. Yeah. And don't be afraid to nudge. Mm. I get nudged all the time and, and, and I feel bad when I get nudged because mm. I go, oh, shit. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I should have replied to this before. So, yeah, don't, don't, be, like, don't go mental. Don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said that. Yeah, I think if you want to if you want to know how things 
work if you want to know what people do just i think just ask them like just drop mm. them an email and just go just ask them yeah the worst that will happen is they won't reply yeah which again as an actor must be really shitty because it's just it feels like it feels like another rejection yeah but it, it's not yeah it's not it's just circumstance yeah i think and I think also as an actor, you're probably used to not, you know, because especially in this day and age when you're sending out self-tape mm. after self-tape after self-tape and That's a lot of them just, it feels like throwing them into the void mm. and sometimes you don't hear anything back and you kind of have to make your peace with that however you make your peace with things. Yeah. And so it's probably a similar thing with emailing, but mm. I think I think that's really good advice. People are just like... Busy. This, yeah, <laughs> and people see... Again, I mean, again, I'm thinking back to when I was an actor and, and, and thinking about emailing people or getting in touch with people who are, like, high up, mm. who are artistic directors or who are casting directors or who are what, or even agents. Like, ultimately, they're all still just people. Like, and you just have, and you have if, when, when you have a chat with you, you go, oh, you're just normal. You're just a normal person. And you're not, you're not kind of, yeah. I don't know. You, you haven't been or... roll, carried in on a golden throne a- to have this meeting with me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that every single time I meet a, an artistic director of, of a building of mm. a, or, or a theatre company who I've known of for a long time. I remember the first time I met Jenny Seeley. Jenny Seeley Williams Gray, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'd and she she's been in this business for like thirty years. She's run Grey Eye for thirty years. She's incredible. And I was like, I was kind of slightly, I was not slightly, I was really nervous. Mm. But she's like the most down to earth, uh, <laughs> slightly sweary uh, <laughs> person that I've ever met. Yeah. And I was like, ah, ah, great. You're really kind. You're yeah. really nice. I think it's bearing in mind that most of them have been in your position in some way before. Yes. Whether that is as as whether they've been actors or whether they've been mm. struggling artists to start mm. with. No, that's not the case for all. Mm. Some people, but some of them walk straight into things. Mm. Um, but a lot, but they're not for me anyway. They're not the people I want to be working with. Yeah. So the people you want to work with, the people who kind of. Have, they will have had a similar journey in some way to you. Yeah. Or they'll have they'll understand. Yeah. In some way, where you're at. Yeah. I guess. And they'll be nicer than you think. They will definitely be nicer than you think. <laughs> and not all. So don't come. <laughs> not all of them will, but I think the vast majority. Certainly, I've again. That's just again my own experience. Mm. I'm always not always, but I'm so like pleasantly surprised with how nice people are mm. when you're not a dick <laughs> and on that note absolutely <laughs> Josh Ashad thank you so much for giving us your time today it's Pleasure. been really lovely chatting with you it's been really fun <laughs> it's been really nice that was such a fun chat I enjoyed every minute of that if you enjoyed listening tell your friends share on your socials and of course subscribe You can follow Box of Tricks on Twitter at B-O-T-T-C and on Instagram at Box of Tricks Theatre. You can find me at Carla M. Sweet, that's Carla with a K, on both platforms. And you can follow Cash across all platforms at Cash Arshad. Thanks for joining us again for the Playmakers podcast. 
I'll see you next time for the final episode of season one. <laughs> <laughs>